ね。How's everybody doing? Good. If you stand with me, we're going to read God's word. Looking at Hebrews 10. Hebrews chapter 10, we'll be reading verses 23 to 25. Hebrews 10, verses 23 to 25. This is God's word. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Amen. That's God's word. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. Uh, Lord, and we thank you for speaking to us in your word. Uh, God, we thank you that we don't have to wonder what you're like or we don't have to wonder what you want us to do. We don't have to wonder what your church should look like or why it's even important. But you've spoken to us, God. You've actually spoken to us in language we can understand, and we thank you for that, Father. And so we pray that now as we think about your word, Lord, that you would speak to us clearly. And, Father, we pray you would work this in our hearts and you'd use it for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Um, so I'm Tripp. I'm one of the pastors, and as John said, we're going to continue in our series on the church. Who needs the church? Um, and we're going to, this morning, talk about Sunday morning, uh, this time that we come to gather together. And, and I want to begin just by asking you a question um, and thinking about something that was familiar to me when I was younger that may probably be familiar to, familiar to you. Did y'all, when you were in high school, have pep rallies? Uh, Kaylin is the type of dude who would enjoy a pep rally. Just excited. For, you were the mascot, really? You were, you were actually the mascot? What was the mascot? The, okay. I'll ask you what the answer is after the sermon, but... Uh, pep rallies. We would have those at my high school, and um, we were excited when pep rallies came around, mainly because, you know, we got to not go to class and act the fool with our friends in the bleachers, and that seemed like a fun thing to do. So I liked that part. But other than that, pep rallies go against everything I believe. Uh, they go against all my core values, all the stuff I least like, like cheesiness and unnecessary excitement and enthusiasm in general, stuff that I'm not really with and so you know but we go to these pep rallies and it was stuff that I enjoyed about it enough to get away and I understood why they exist you know schools do pep rallies to get the student body excited about the team maybe there's a big game coming up so at our high school um you know when it was homecoming around that's when people would have the biggest pep rallies and they would uh you know have uh the most excitement and it's to drum up excitement drum up emotion whether or not the team is actually good you're gonna pretend like it's good during the pep rally and get excited. And here's the problem with them, though, is that that excitement will die down. So, you know, you may be excited for a moment, but then after the game passes, you know, half the people don't care about the sports anyway. You remember that the team isn't really that good, and so you don't care again until the next pep, pep rally. Um, and 
here's the thing. Uh, we often think of Sunday morning when we gather together as a church as really just another pep rally. It's like a spiritual pep rally. We come together. We're trying to drum up excitement about Jesus. Um, excitement that really is probably going to die down. Maybe it lasts into a few days into our week, but it dies down until it comes around again. But pep rallies get old after a while, you know, especially if you're trying to drum up excitement about something that's not really exciting in the first place. And here's the thing, you know, we know the drill. So, you know, with a pep rally, you know what is going to happen. Yay, go team. And it's like with Sunday morning in church, we think it's like, okay, we just come together and the conclusion is, yay, go Jesus. And that's what's supposed to propel me into my week. But that can get old. Right? What would be the point of coming? If I already know what the point, if it's just yay, go Jesus, why? I can say yay, go Jesus at home by myself. You know, what is it about this gathering that makes us want to come do this together? I felt like this as a kid when my parents were dragging me to church. I felt like I already knew what the end result of the sermon was going to be. The, the preachers, which I didn't understand at the time because I didn't love Jesus, would end at the same place every week. I could you know, just watch my clock and wait for it to start. But they begin to talk about Jesus. And they say on Friday night he was in the grave. And Saturday morning he was in the grave. Organs come in. And Saturday night he was in the grave. And then early, and I was like, yep, I knew we was, I knew this is where we were going. And I'm thinking, well, why am I going to come to, I already know where we're ending every week. What is it about this? Doesn't it get kind of dry and routine? Um, all of us know that our excitement about Jesus, no matter where we are on our walk with Jesus, our excitement about him, you know, is a little weaker and lower sometimes. We don't always just feel on fire for Jesus. Other stuff competes for our attentions, right? You know, a busy work week. Other stuff seems like it has more to promise than Jesus. You know, some of us are in bad health. We're just trying to make it day to day. Some of us, our kids are bad. We're just trying to make it day to day. There's all kinds of stuff that can crowd out excitement about Jesus, not to mention our own sin. But I don't want us to think of Sunday as just something we come to to help us get emotionally amped up about Jesus. I want us to think of Sunday as something that helps us to hold on to our hope, right? We know we have to hold on to Jesus somehow, and we know Sunday is apparently supposed to do that in some way, but we don't really always know how. It doesn't always feel like that. And I think one of the reasons is because we have this wrong. This is what our misunderstanding is. You don't need a weekly pep rally to follow Jesus. And Jesus doesn't need you to cheer him on. He's not going to like get some encouragement like, thanks, guys. Now I know I can go out there and be victorious. <laughs> That's not how Jesus works either. You don't need a weekly pep rally to follow Jesus. What you need is a meal. You need sustenance. You need whatever it takes to hold on to Jesus and to hold on to hope in Jesus. And God has given us such a thing. Sunday morning, uh, this Sunday gathering helps us to hold on to hope. That's why we keep coming here. That's why we do this. It helps us to hold on to hope. Uh, a few years back, a family member gave me a nice watch, and I was grateful for it, but I don't know nothing about watches. I had never had a, a nice watch. And so, you know, I liked it a lot. I was wearing it. But then when I wouldn't wear it for a few days in a row, it, I would look at it, and it wouldn't be running anymore. So I was like, I guess it's broke. And so... I would just put it on and not set the time because it looked good and just like cover it up so people didn't know that I was doing that. But it wasn't broken. I just didn't understand the kind of watch it is. It, it's, a, it's a watch that needs to be wound. You know, it don't run on batteries. Uh, what happens is, and it was an automatic uh, mechanical watch, and so what would happen is when you wear it and you move around, it like spins something and the gears start going and, and it runs like that. And I had no idea 
Um, and so when I figured that out, at first I was just annoyed because I was like, oh, it's 2017, we got batteries now. <laughs> but the more and more I thought about it and looked into it, I actually was uh, pretty impressed that they could do this with such precision and it would wind itself. It, it was a watch that needed to be wound in order to keep going. And this is kind of what the Christian life is like when we follow Jesus. We need to be wound. And there's certain kinds of motions that God has given us that gives us that, that keeps us hoping in Jesus. Christians don't run on batteries that never run out. That's not how this works. Christians uh, need something to help us hold on to hope. Hope doesn't hold on to itself. And so, you know, God is the one who keeps us, but he's given us stuff to hold on to hope in him. And so we're going to talk about uh, some of the ways he does that. And the main way we're talking about this morning is Sunday morning that helps us to hold on to hope. Um, we read from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Raise your hand if you've ever read Hebrews before. It's a great book. There's plenty of stuff that can be confusing because you, uh, they're bringing in so much Old Testament imagery. Uh, but it does talk a lot about what it means to hold on to hope in Jesus to persevere faith in Jesus. And so I'm going to read chapter 10, verse 23 again. Uh, and, and the author of Hebrews says this, Let us hold to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. Right? He's saying to us, we need to hold on to the confession of our hope. Sometimes we think the only uh, thing that needs to happen with a confession of hope is we just need to one time, at some point in our life, um, feel guilty enough to make a confession of hope in Jesus, whether that's walking an altar, whether that's praying a prayer, and then after that, it just kind of takes care of itself. That's not what this author is saying. He's saying, no, we need to hold on to the confession of our hope. This is a hope that needs to continue, that we have to hold on to. Uh, and the hope that he's talking about um, is not like some subjective, nice feeling of being happy about things. He's talking about a, a, a banking on promises that God has made to his people. He's talking about the hope of being righteous when we stand before God or standing before God and meeting God's standard according to his own judgment. Not like looking like you meet God's standard to your friends, but God himself. That's a big hope he's, he's talking about. He's talking about the, the hope of living forever with God in the new creation where he's made all things right and there's no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering, no more sin. These are big hopes that he's talking about us holding on to. And there's a reason we got to be commanded to hold on to these hopes uh, without wavering because we are prone to let go and waver. Anybody who's been a Christian for more than four and a half minutes can tell you this. We are prone to let go of the hope that we've confessed. And and we might start letting go and holding on to other hopes. Uh, And so we're commanded to hold on to hope for the same reason that you're required uh, to bring the bar down when you get on a roller coaster. Because if you don't, you might fall, and there's danger if you do. So he's telling us, hold on to hope. Um, anytime somebody makes a promise to you, and then you have to wait for them to come through on the promise, you know, we get a little antsy in the meantime. So if I told you that I was going to give you a million dollars, first I'd have to <clears throat> go make a million dollars. But if I told you I was going to give you a million dollars, we even wrote it down on a contract, and I signed it. And I said, I'm going to give it to you in the future. And he was like, when? I was like, the future. <laughs> and you trusted me. You'd probably be like, man, Trip is so generous and apparently wealthy, and I'm excited about that. And so you'd probably look forward to it. And then as the years went on, and I hadn't given you that million dollars yet, 
you would start to wonder if you were really going to get it. And probably anytime you saw me with anything new, you'd be like, huh, I wonder if he spent <laughs> my million dollars on that. But here's what happens. Anytime someone makes a promise and we have to wait for it, and we don't know the exact day it's coming, we start to get a little antsy. We start to wonder if it's really what we thought it was. And so many other things get in our head. It's like, man, I was hoping in this, but was I tripping when I hoped in this? And I'm waiting on that hope, but there are all these beautiful things right in front of me that I can grab onto. What if I just bank on these things instead? When he's talking about holding on to hope, he's talking about continuing to bank on the promises of God. And it's hard to do that when other things are always vying for our attention. And especially Christian hope is hard sometimes because especially if we're thinking we're going to stand before God and be righteous according to his standard in his sight. And we look at ourselves from day to day and you're like, I don't feel very righteous according to God's standard. Is all of this hope just a bunch of foolishness? He's telling us to hold on to it. And here's why. He gives us the reason to hold on to it. Since he who promised is faithful. Since he who promised is faithful. We're not supposed to hold on to hope just because you should, like your parents, just because I told you so. But also because he keeps his promises. Sometimes we think the Bible tells us to trust Jesus and it only says just because it's the right thing to do. But in this verse right here, he's saying you should uh, hope in Jesus because he is faithful because it's good because he'll actually come through and do what he said you should keep putting your hope on that because what he said will happen when you bank on that is actually going to happen this is the same faithful God we've been singing about he's not uh, basing this on you and your strength to hope but in the one who made the promise he is faithful and you know we hear that word faithful what does it mean that God is faithful it means he's never started something and then gave up half the way through Right, God is faithful. It means he's, he's never, you know, had to go back on his word because, man, this was harder than I thought it was going to be. Right, it means God, you know, even when we don't keep our word to him, he keeps his word to us because he's faithful. It means he's the only one really worth banking on, hoping on, building our life on because he's faithful. Right, and that's the reason we should hold on to hope. So, so a quick word to folks who are not sure they want to follow Jesus and not sure if they believe in Jesus, who else in your life could you ever say this about, right? Who could you ever say has literally never let you down and literally will never ever let you down? You cannot say that about anybody. Your parents have let you down. Friends go back on their word and let you down. And even in marriage, the biggest, grandest promise that two humans can make to one another, when people promise, people are even sometimes unfaithful. But with God, we can say with 100% confidence, he who has promised is faithful. He who has promised has always been faithful, and he who has promised will always be faithful. Who better to put your hope on? What better to bank on? That's why we should hold on to hope because God is faithful and he'll do what he said he'll do. I just want you to soak in that truth for a second and what that means for your life and the Jesus you follow. He's always going to do what he said he would do. So when we doubt Jesus, it's not because he changed. He's going to do what he said he would do. When we waver, it's not because Jesus changed. He will do what he said he will do. This is the hope that Sunday morning is supposed to help us to hold on to. Right? And listen to what he says in verse 24, connecting to holding on to this hope. 
He says, and let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works. Not neglecting to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Right? So we're not only to hold on to hope without wavering, but we're also supposed to be watching out for each other. It's like when uh, I was a kid and my parents would drop me and my sister off at the same place at the same time. And when we went, my dad would always say, y'all, I mean, watch out for each other. It wasn't like, well, every man for himself because you're not at the house. We were still family, so we were supposed to watch out for each other. So even at school sometimes. I remember one time a dude was making fun of my edge up because the barber took me back a little too far. You know what that's like. and You're trying to keep your head down the whole day, and somebody was making fun of me. And my sister was nearby, and she, like, jumped in and stood up for me. And it didn't help. It made it worse. But it's the thought that counts, right? And the same thing. I heard some dudes talking crazy to her. I would be like, hey, man, you need to back up. And if something was to pop off, I don't know what I would have done. But, again, it's the thought that counts. We're supposed to, as family in Jesus, watch out for one another. And that's what he's calling us to do, watch out for each other. And sometimes when we think watch out for each other, we are trying to protect each other from dangers. And often those dangers are sin that comes into our life. But I want us to be careful not to become imbalanced to where the only watching out we do is just asking each other, what things are you not doing? Right? So we don't just want to say, have you looked at porn this week? Bro? Or have you been talking to that dude you ain't, you ain't supposed to be talking to? Have you, have you stole? We don't just want to ask those questions when we hold each other accountable, though we should. We should also positively be asking each other, are you loving your neighbors? Right? Are you doing good deeds? Are you seeking out people who are needy? Are you being compassionate? We don't just want to ask about the stuff we shouldn't be doing. We want to be helping each other to do the things we should be doing, provoking each other to love and good deeds. And that's what this watching out for each other is about. It's not about just trying to keep tabs, just trying to look over each other's shoulders. That's not what he's talking about. He's, he's talking about watching out for each other to help each other to be like Jesus, to follow Jesus, because we need each other to follow Jesus. Christianity is a team sport. We got to do it together. And so the way that he's, the main way he's going to point to us watching out for each other right here is gathering together. So these Hebrews, he's saying watch out for each other. Don't stop gathering together like some people have done. All right, the main thing he's going to point to is gathering together. And when people think about the gathering of the church on Sunday morning, People often think of it with one or two extremes. One, people may think, well, that's all that matters. That's the only thing a church does is you just come together on Sunday morning. What that does is that guts so much of the idea of the local church's family. There's no space for us to love each other, or bear each other's burdens, or walk with each other, any of that. We're just showing up to an event together, a pep rally. And pep rallies are not good enough to help you hold on to your hope in Jesus. Another extreme that people have is this Sunday is not really important at all. All the real discipleship and stuff that matters happens throughout the week. Sunday morning is just like, you know, we all kind of come together for that. But when the real stuff happens is when, we, when we're separate from one another. And what I want to say is both of those extremes are bad. Sunday morning isn't the whole of the life of the church, but it's also not just some cherry on top of all the other stuff that really matters. This gathering itself Not just the relationships, but also this very gathering itself is crucial to following Jesus and living the way you were made to live. Um, It's central to the life of our church. We often think of churches as congregations. This is the time when the congregation congregates, right? 
That word ecclesia means, uh, the Greek word for church, ecclesia, it literally means assembly, right? This is where the assembly actually assembles, right? This is at the core, the central, central to our identity as a church. Does that make sense? And we start to talk about the universal church. It's, it's really used kind of thinking about the end times, the universal assembly. Well, you know, it's churches and people all over the place. There will be a day when all Christians who've ever lived will gather in one place and assemble around the Lord Jesus and worship him forever. That is a beautiful picture. And we get to do some of that right now in our local assemblies that the Lord has called us to. So, you know, what are some reasons then that we neglect this, even though the Bible wants us to do it? What are some reasons we might neglect gathering together? Sometimes we feel like we don't need it, right? We think of it as a pep rally. We think, I don't really, I don't really need that. It's not one of my priorities. Sometimes it's just because we're tired. If we're honest, sometimes we wake up on Sunday morning, stayed up too late on Saturday night, and we just don't feel like going. Or maybe we just had a really rough week and we're just tired. We don't, we don't feel like it. We need to be rejuvenated and, and rest. Sometimes it's because we have some sin issues in our life and we don't want to come here. When, when there's a way that you, with other people, that you say, let's follow Jesus together, and you're not really following the Jesus, and it's, it seems serious, you know, we like to avoid awkward conversations. And when we're trying to pretend like something's not bad, we don't like to go to the place where we'll be reminded that it's a bad idea for an hour and a half. So there's sometimes when we avoid coming together with God's people because we don't really want to deal with the stuff in our life. Or sometimes we're not really sure we believe in Jesus that morning. Sometimes we just think it's boring, they're going to be praying a lot. Sometimes we may think, I don't know if it speaks directly to what I'm thinking about right now. I'm introverted, I don't want to be around people, I'm going to just stream the service. That's why we ain't got a stream right now, because y'all lazy. I'm just playing. Um, maybe. Uh, there are lots of reasons, lots of excuses um, that can come into our minds. And this is not to say there's never a time at any time when you, when you shouldn't be here on, on a Sunday. But what I'm saying is, in general, God has called us to regularly gather with his people. And we have all kinds of reasons we might, might want to neglect it. And some of those excuses are perfectly good excuses. If all this is is a pep rally. If this is just a pep rally to try to drum up some excitement, then sure, it's not a big deal if you miss it. Sleep in every now and then or watch it online. You're not always in the mood for a pep rally. But the Bible doesn't talk about this like a pep rally. It talks about this gathering as a way to survive, as a way to persevere, as a way to hold on to hope in Jesus, as a way to watch out for each other. Sometimes we think about church and we neglect it because we're just thinking about what we're just going to get on them. And we might think, I don't even know if I want to hear that sermon, so I'm going to just stay home. When part of the reason he's telling us not to neglect it is not only so we can be watched out for, but so we can do the watching out for each other as well. We're family. We have responsibility for one another. And the way that we're watching out for each other is through this encouraging one another when we gather together. I wonder if you ever think of Sunday that way, as a way to watch out for your brothers and sisters, as a way to encourage your brothers and sisters. This is how the Bible wants us to think about it. And what we'll see so often when people end up walking away from Jesus is one of the first things that happens is they stop gathering with God's people. And sometimes when we're going through our toughest times, we want to draw away from God's people. And I want to say Satan would love to see you do that. 
I mean, this is, this is even just a core principle of cults, of pimps, of people who prey on vulnerable people is to separate them from their community so they can control them. Satan would love for you to stop gathering with God's people so he can control you and manipulate you. And God is saying, look, we need to keep gathering together so we can watch out for one another. So one of the things we want to do is when we gather, we want to pay attention to who's here so we can find ways to encourage people. And if we don't see somebody for a long time, it's like, man, I haven't seen them in two months. It's a good thing to check in and see how people are doing and where they're at. All right, sometimes somebody will just be like, yeah, I was, I was on vacation or, you know, I, I, my job took me away for a couple months. Uh, but sometimes people need to be reached out to and encouraged. Sometimes people are really discouraged. Sometimes people are wrestling with sin, and they fear if they were to talk to anybody, everybody would just judge them in condemnation. And the chance for another Christian to reach out and say, hey, where have you been? And to express affirmation and love for that person could be the thing to help them wrestle through that. What I'm not encouraging you to do is at 1035, you look around like, you better just be late, right? Just trying to find ways to judge people who... I'm not here. That's not what I'm saying. But we want to watch out for one another. Um, and, and, you know, again, we, we might wonder why we need to do it so often. What is it about this coming together that helps us to, to hold on to hope? Um, there, was a, there was a movie in the 90s um, that I think illustrates this kind of well. It's about this tight-knit family in Chicago. And there's this kind of matriarch at the center of the family they called Big Mama, she's the glue that holds everything together while you're laughing. And the, don't be screaming at the title because some of y'all don't need to watch it. Um, don't, uh, if you remember it, fine. Don't try to tell other people to watch it. And the entire family has Sunday dinner every single week, right? But then Big Mama dies and everything falls apart. And so the whole family falls apart. They don't do Sunday dinner anymore. And there's adultery. People forgot how to be successful. They forgot about the bonds of family. They're trying to sell off the house. And it's like they forgot everything that Big Mama taught them. God rest her soul. And so there's this kid who narrates the movie. And he's like, man, the family is wilding out. I want to help the family get back to where we're supposed to be. And so he comes up with this scheme just to get everybody to show up on Sunday for Sunday dinner. Right? And he knows Sunday dinner is when everybody gathers around. And even though... Big Mama isn't here. They'll be able to connect with the values that Big Mama taught them, and everything will work out. And it did, right, because this is a movie. And so they do end up coming back together, and they remember those values, and their family kind of knits back together. Sunday dinner was the key, and I think you probably know where I'm going. As believers in Jesus, of course, our Lord has ascended, uh, and we're waiting for the day for him to come back to get us. And in the meantime, Right? It will be easy for us to forget the principles he's taught us. It will be easy for us to let go of the hope that he's given us. And what he's called us to do is to weekly gather around for Sunday dinner to be fed from his word. Not just to drum up emotions for a pep rally, but really to gather around his word. And when we gather around his word and feast together, we're reminded of his truth. We're reminded of his promises. We're reminded of his goodness to us. And it's in that that we can hold our entire life together. It, it would be okay to just not really worry about meeting regularly if like we trust Jesus and then it's just like an easy steady incline right on into glory and you become more like him every day with no setbacks but that's just not the case. We got to watch out for one another and encourage each other. We need Sunday morning to hold on to hope. 
So what I want to do right now as we think about Sunday morning um, is to think about the stuff we do on Sunday morning and why we do it and how it helps us to hold on to hope. There's a lot of people, it's a really strange idea that, and you may hear people say this from time to time, that the way we do church is like a, a new Western invention. Uh, that's not how we were supposed to do it. That's not how the Bible encourages us to do it. What's really the new invention is thinking that that's a new invention. The Bible tells us to do this, to gather. Like, oh, but it's the enlightenment and people trying to teach. No, the Bible tells us to preach the word. I mean, the, the Old Testament, God would pick a messenger who would communicate his word to his people. Um, th- this is not stuff that we made up. Uh, it's in the Bible. And some of us have been going to church our whole lives, maybe, and we just come and we just, like, yeah, when I go to church, they sing songs and we hear a sermon and that's just what you do there. And we never thought about why we do that. Or some of us have not gone to church that much, but we're familiar um, with church, and so we know there's just stuff we do. I want to talk about why we do the things that we do and how it's supposed to help us to hold on to hope. One reminder is from 1 Corinthians 14, 26, where Paul is talking to this church who's really obsessed with all their spiritual gifts, and they just come in and, you know, having speaking in tongue battles and prophesying, trying to one-up each other. And he's saying, well, no, no, let's remember what all of this is for, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 26. It'll be on the screen. He says, what then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. He's saying if you come to the gathering and you have a hymn or a lesson or an interpretation, don't try to do that in some way to one-up each other. Don't try to do that to get attention. Don't do that for any other reason than to build up the body, right, so that everything we do on a Sunday morning should be there to build up the body. So let's, let's briefly talk about the different elements of a Sunday service and how it helps us hold on to hope. Let's talk about the sermon first. Um, the sermon is not supposed to just be uh, just someone handing out a bunch of information. That's not what the sermon's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be just an emotional pick-me-up for people to help people feel better about their week. The Sunday sermon is supposed to be opening God's word and handing a plate of food to people who could die of starvation. Right. The disciples said to Jesus uh, when he said, you know, this t- the teaching was really hard, what they heard him say. But they were like, where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. Jesus had the words that gave life. And so when we gather, we gather around the words that give life. So while we never would want to devalue any other part of the service, there is a sense in which the sermon is kind of like the headliner, not the preacher, but the sermon itself. Because there's all of these things that we do that have great value that are centered on the word. But the thing that's so special about the sermon is it's when God speaks to us from his word for an extended period of time. Where we allow God to say what he has to say. Um, not the preacher, but the message of the gospel of God's word. And so we're, 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 we're praying and we're singing and the word is in all this. But there is something special about the preached word. How this helps us to hold on to hope, you know, these are the words that keep us trusting in Jesus. Faith comes through hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. It's pretty simple. Sometimes we're like, how can I believe in Jesus more? Jesus said faith comes through hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. We need to sit under his word. And there's something special about sitting under his word with the people who've committed to watch out for your soul. Not just by yourself at home, there's something special about sitting under the word and letting God's word shape us together as a community. Ephesians 4 talks about the body building itself up together. It's very hard to have a healthy church or healthy members without healthy sermons. It can happen. 
But it's kind of like your friend who eats chicken nuggets for every meal and somehow he's healthy. It's like, well, he's an exception and it's going to catch up with him at some point. If we were preaching sermons that aren't biblical, one, you should fire us, really. And also, it would catch up with our church. We wouldn't be healthy. We wouldn't be, our minds wouldn't be uh, being renewed by God's word, but just by opinions of people. And so if you're here visiting and you're looking for a church, we'd love to have you here. You don't have to be a part of this church. But one of the main things I'd encourage you to look for is a church that preaches the Bible, preaches the gospel of Jesus. One of the things at the top of your list should be when someone stands on stage, they are drawing attention to what God has said. And when they say it, they show me where God said it. Right? Those are the kinds of things we want to be looking for. And one of the things that does is it jumpstarts the life of the word within the life of the community. If the only time the word goes forth is on stage on Sunday morning, then that is a very unhealthy situation. Instead, this is like a jumping off point where, uh, where we try to equip uh, the members, the saints, for the work of the ministry. And this word should be just going all throughout the congregation, where we're all sharing it with one another. Colossians 3 talks about let the word dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. Uh, So this should be one of those jump-off points where we're able to hear from the word, learn how to study the word, and share it with each other. And one of the things that helps me to remember when I preach that I can't change anybody is, one, sometimes... Um, The Lord will use the sermons that feel like they're the worst sermons I've ever preached to change people's lives. And that's the Lord like, it's my strength, not yours. And then two, there will be times when people come up to me afterwards, come up to John or Richard Moe afterwards and say, that was exactly what I needed to hear because this happened during this week. And it doesn't make me feel like a prophet or any of us feel like a prophet because we may not have talked to them that week. We didn't know exactly what they needed, but the Lord knew exactly what they needed. Right? And he knew how to press his word into their hearts. We want to open God's word and allow it to speak. We need Sunday morning to hold on to hope. But it's not just the sermon. Sometimes we can assume that everything else that happens is really just the fluff. The sermon is the only thing that really matters. But God has commanded us to do other things. Second thing we'll think about is music. I was talking to a friend who doesn't like the music at his church. And he's like, man, why? do we have to sing in church? Can we just not do that? Uh, And why do we have to do that? Uh, Can we just come and hear the sermon and leave? Um, And um, no, because the Bible tells us to sing. We can't do that. Um, There's one of the the few things that God commands us to do when we come together is to sing to one another. Ephesians 5, 18 and 19, it says, Don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So we notice when we sing, when we gather, we're not just singing to the Lord, we are, but we're also singing to one another. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We sing to God, but we also sing to one another. And this is the encouraging one another he's talking about, right? This is part of the encouraging one another that he's calling us to do by gathering together. So when you come in here on Sunday morning and you think about engaging and singing to Jesus and to one another with the psalms, I want to encourage you not to feel like, man, I can't really engage in worship with the music because they don't sing that song I like. Or, man, they sing that song, but I wish the arrangement was fire. Or whatever it is. Or, man, I want more CCM songs. I want more gospel songs. I want to encourage you not to um, 
decide you're not going to obey these commands until people do the music exactly the songs you want to do and the way you want them to be done. What scripture is commanding us to do is to make melody to the Lord and to one another. And so we want to come prepared to encourage each other. We want people who are discouraged and are not sure if Jesus is good to when they come in here and they hear a couple hundred people singing about the Lord's goodness with joy that it reminds them of the goodness of Jesus. And I want that to be the same for you when you show up on those harder days. This is one of the ways we encourage each other and we're commanded to do it. And music has a unique kind of access to our emotions. And music is repetitive. We, we sing it over and over again. Sometimes you might not know the Lord is good at the beginning of the song. But by the end of the song, where we've said it 45 times, maybe you'll know. And I don't care how good a sermon is ever preached up here. If I, you know, there will never be a time during the week where people will be reciting my sermon word for word. Or no one's going to be like, hey, turn on that one on uh, 1 Corinthians. I want to hear that one. That's not going to happen. But with music, there's the ability to take it with you, to sing it throughout the week, to listen. Like, let the songs bring out the truth that we're reading in Scripture, that we're preaching about. Let, let it bring it out and let it work it into your heart, even throughout the week. That's music. Uh, number th- uh, three, prayer. John has already mentioned, we pray a lot. And people will ask us why we pray so often. And we think it's important to pray not only as individuals, but together, when we all gather together. Scripture has so many examples of God's people praying together, and it's something we are commanded to do when we gather. And as pastors, you know, here's one of the things, if we thought of it as a pep rally, that is not very peppy. This is a point where one person leads out in prayer and everybody prays along silently, right? That, that's not something that's very entertaining. But what we've come to do is not just be entertained to just have a pep rally. We've come to meet with God together. We've come to engage with him together. And here's how it helps us hold on to hope. Sometimes throughout the week, it's hard for us to remember that there's a God who hears from us. There's something powerful about going before him together and asking him to be who he said he is. Asking him to keep his promises to us. There's sometimes, you know, some of us are new Christians and we haven't prayed that much. One of the great things about praying together corporately is we get to learn how to pray. We get to learn from hearing people lead us in prayer. We pray together because the Bible tells us to and it's good to help us to hold on to hope. Number four, reading scripture. We read scripture in the service. We, we've tried to be careful not to only read a passage just just the passage of the sermon right before the sermon is we we want to read lots of scripture. First Timothy 413. Paul says to Timothy, until I come, give your attention to public reading, exhortation and teaching. We want to publicly read God's word. One thing I want you to start paying attention to is you'll notice that the passages that are chosen connect to the theme of the whole service because we want it all to be driving these points home because it's there to help us to hold on to hope in Jesus. How about sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper? We'll baptize people um, from time to time here. And one of the cool things is most of the ways we hear from God and we uh, stuff that helps our faith is stuff that just comes in through our ears hearing his word. But with baptism and the Lord's Supper, God has given us something that we can see, something that we can touch, something that we can taste that will remind us of his goodness. And when someone comes up here and shares their testimony, it's a reminder that God saves people. You know, sometimes you forget that God really saves people. And that sounds foolish, but if you haven't seen a friend come to Jesus recently, you just kind of forget that this is what God's doing. And it's amazing to just hear these stories of people in all different places who the Lord chased down and saved by his grace. Man, God is still the loving 
uh, saving, delivering God he's always been. And when we take the Lord's Supper, I mean, this is just uh, an incredibly beautiful thing the Lord has given us to do together, uh, to, to proclaim his death until he comes, to remember what he's done for us. And we'll get a chance to do that today at the end of the service, to, to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Um, offering, number six, offering. Um, this is also something that the Bible tells us to do on Sunday morning. Um, uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 2, on the first day of every week, this is why we gather on Sundays, why churches always have the first day when Jesus got up from the grave. On the first day of every week, he knows that's when they gather, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. He's saying, look, on the first day of the week when you come together, you're to set something aside so that we as God's people can use that um, for God's purposes so that we can help other churches, we can help the gospel go forth, we can help those who are in need. Offering is like that weekly reminder when we come together that everything you have belongs to Jesus and not you. It's a weekly reminder that Christ is Lord of every area of your life, not you. And then it teaches us as a church what's important as we try to use those things for the things God has called us to do. Last part of the service I'll talk about is just greeting each other, conversations before and after. I want to encourage you to talk to people while you're here. Like for real. Like not just when we say, hey, let's greet each other. And it's like, hey, what's up, bro? Hope I never see you again. Hey, right, we, I, let's actually get to know each other. Let's let this be a place where we can connect and encourage each other. Here's something. After the sermon's over and you're talking to people afterwards, I want to encourage you not just to have small talk, but sometimes to talk about the content we just heard. It's good when God's word goes forth to not move on from it so quickly that we forget it happened at all. Like, let's actually, let's talk to each other about it, even if it's just, man, uh, that verse just always makes me think about ABC, right? J just a way to have conversation about what God has done and to encourage each other like the Lord has called us to do when we gather together. I went through all of that so we can really grab a hold of the point that Sunday morning is there to help us to hold on to hope and the things God has commanded us to do when we gather, and that's the stuff that we're trying to do. And I want you, when you come uh, together, I want you to think of those things, the stuff Jesus has called us to do in ways for us to encourage one another. This isn't a pep rally. You don't need a pep rally. And one of the differences between this and a pep rally is I'm not trying to get you excited about a team that's not really that good. Uh, we're not even talking about a Jesus that's not really that good. What we're doing is being reminded of how good he actually is. Right? I'm not trying to say, oh, something great may happen in the future if we get excited. I'm saying something great has already happened. God became a man. I don't have to cast vision about something that could happen if they play well. All we have to do is talk about what's actually true, that God did become a man and he came to earth and he lived the perfect life and he paid for our sins and he got up from the grave and he's made promises to us. Have you noticed how much of the songs we sing are just talking about the promises of God, who he is and what he's done and what he promises to us? Right? We're coming together to talk about a victory that's already happened, not a victory that we hope happens. Right? The devil is a real adversary of God, and Jesus actually defeated him. Death is a real adversary of God, and Jesus actually defeated it. Sin is a real adversary of God, and Jesus actually defeated it. And he's called us into that victory, and we get to walk in it together. 
And when we come together, we get to encourage each other, like, let's walk in this victory together. Let's keep our minds on the end. He's saying, as the day approaches, all the more encourage one another. Jesus is coming back. Jesus will keep his promises. Let's encourage each other in the meantime and watch out for one another. We're gathering, not to drum up excitement, but to eat. This is Sunday dinner. This is where God recalibrates us. This is where God reminds us of his promises. So my hope is um, that as we move on from this time, that we would see Sunday morning not just as a burden and not just something that we do, but something that we can look forward to with eager expectation because God has made promises about what he'll do in these times. Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Uh, Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you, God, for loving us enough uh, not only to send a Savior, Father, not only to accomplish that victory for us, but to give us ways to be reminded of that victory, to give us ways to encourage each other in that victory. Uh, God, we thank you that uh, we don't have to go out into the dark night of this world by ourselves, that there is safety and security and going out together, Father. Uh, We pray that you would help us to to hold on to hope, Father, to watch out for each other, uh, to persevere, uh, and to honor you with all of our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.